But let's uh, let's get straight to it. We're gonna just jump in uh, tonight, and we're gonna be looking at a very very familiar parable um, in Luke. So if we could turn to Luke. Chapter 15. It's a lengthy portion that we get to to read tonight. We're going to be reading the parable of the prodigal son. I'm sure we're all quite familiar with this this parable. So just say amen once you guys get there. Praise God. Amen. And the word of God says this. and, And he said... There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of, the, of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard the music and dancing, and he called and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who was devout, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to, to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Father, we just want to come before you at this moment. Father, asking, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, through this word. Father God, this message, Lord, that you have prepared, Father God, for your people, Lord. Father, just pray, Lord God, that you would... um, 
glorify your name and use me, Lord God, at this moment, at this hour, Lord God, that you would instill in me your truth, Father God, that you want to share with us, Lord God. And Father, I pray that you would be glorified. I pray that you would use me. I pray that you would humble me, Father God, and that you would be exalted, Lord God. May we consider, Lord, your perfect will, Lord God, over our lives, Lord. And I pray that your spirit, Lord, will bring us conviction of the truths that you have set for us, Lord God. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would speak, Lord God. I pray that you would be moving in our hearts, Lord God. I pray that you would you would bless, Father God, this church, Lord God, through your word. We ask this in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Um, just before we get to it, I just wanted to kind of quickly announce as well, just uh, as a reminder for those who um, maybe are unaware, we, we've skipped on a, a, um, a portion when we were doing the seminar. If you recall, we, we were meant to have a, our cell group that night and we were meant to start off with Psalms 128, but we didn't get to do that, obviously. Uh, but the, it's up on the podcast. So if you guys want to check that out, just so you don't miss out on, on all the, um, all the uh, what's it called, the, the lessons that we've been looking into uh, in this series. Uh, so uh, Psalms 128 is what we cover in that podcast. And essentially what we reflect upon is the pursuit of happiness, the things that God gives us uh, as a means for us to be happy, such as work and such as family. And we kind of like deal with essentially why do those things sometimes seem to kind of crumble uh, in our lives? So what is it that, why is there sometimes this disconnect between if this is the means of, of our joy or our happiness, then why isn't it reflected all the time? from a Christian perspective. And so, yeah, check that out. But uh, tonight we get to look at this most famous parable, if not the most famous parable uh, that Jesus has uh, shared. Everyone's very familiar with the prodigal son. Um, and sometimes, you know, because we are so familiar with the parable, sometimes we, uh, as soon as you think of it, you're like, oh, yeah, I already know the story, I already know the application, uh, I already know what we're, we're going to be talking about. Um, well, I hope that, that that's not the case by the end of tonight. Uh, we do draw out a different application and we, we do come from a different perspective, being that the theme is family. Uh, but yes, it's, it's definitely one of those things that, one of those passages that we, we've already addressed and we'll, we'll continually come back to because it does bless us greatly, this parable of Jesus. Um, it's a massive parable, so we won't go into it like verse by verse. Obviously, we'll be here for a while if we were to do that. But honestly, that parable itself, it's so immensely rich um, that we could just at least do 10, 10 talks on that just parable, this one parable. But so we, we, we have a, a restricted time in this. Unfortunately, maybe one day we get to unpack it a little bit more further. But what I want to do uh, to you with you guys tonight with this text is essentially um, give you a quick recap of, of what is going on in this parable because even though it, it is a very well-known parable it is a parable that lies within a certain context and so that's what I really want to look at uh, tonight is set up this context that leads towards this this uh, almost like a crescendo type of build up towards this this massive parable because this parable is actually one of three parables that Jesus gives 
And, and so there's this purpose that Jesus is trying to get to uh, or, or identify as he's sharing this, this parable with his audience at this time. And so it's, it's one of three and it's the last one that he shares with. And all these three parables have the same point that he's trying to get across. And it's really simple, the, the point that he's trying to get across. Um, but before we get to that, like there's this massive setup because... We, if you read Luke, you, you begin to see that essentially even going to chapter 13, like towards the end of chapter 13, Jesus is already in his ministry and he's already preaching to, to, uh, to the masses, in particularly the Jewish audience, in particularly those in the synagogues is where he's been preaching. And so he's been sharing the word and, and teaching the, these, um, these people, these Jewish people, these church-going people, if you, if I could use that, synagogue-going people, um, the Word of God. He's sharing it with them, and he's been doing things that that are kind of like mm, a bit questionable in terms of the eyes of the the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. In particular, he's been healing people, and now automatically you're like, well, that's a good thing. But the thing is that he was healing or has been healing on a Sabbath. That's according to the Pharisees, that's a, a no-no. That's, that's not a good thing to be doing. And so Jesus has been teaching and sharing the word and that, and they may not agree 100% with what Jesus has to say, but they're cool with that at the moment, right? Uh, but as soon as he starts healing someone on a Sabbath, they're like, well, hold on, this is a bit like you know that you're not supposed to be healing on a on a this is the the day of rest like that is in in scripture that is clear it's been established what are you doing like they, they they've already like oh man i don't know about this guy now and so anyway so he continues to 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 teach and and he he addresses that issue like like you're bringing me up or calling me out because i've been healing or i healed someone um, on a Sabbath, and, and he calls out his, the hypocrisy, essentially, where it's like, uh, you guys would do exactly the same thing. You guys would just, if it was your own son that fell in a well, you guys would jump in and rescue that son. If it was an ox that fell in the well, you'd do the same. You'd do every effort in order to make sure that, the, that your ox or your son was returned home safely. And so, he, he, these these. These are the issues that essentially are, are, are kind of brought up with, with the way that Jesus has been teaching. And so anyways, when we come to about like chapter 14 as well, again, like his, his teaching in the, in the synagogues and, and, and in, actually in, in chapter 14, he's actually having a dinner with the Pharisees at this time. And it was kind of essentially a setup because he's previously healed someone um, you know, on the Sabbath. And so it's kind of like this setup where like, let's see if he heals someone again on the Sabbath. Like he knows he shouldn't do it. Uh, he knows it's not right. Let's see if we can get someone, you know, in. And it, it, it just pans out that someone with a dropsy, I think it's, believe it's pronounced. Essentially what it is, is this abnormal swelling. Like they have a swollen something, whatever it is. Uh, and so in walks in this person with this condition and, and Jesus straight away, feels compassion towards this person that they're in need, they're, they're suffering. And so Jesus straight away goes and, and heals this person. And again, they're like, he did it again. And so they, they essentially tell him off. And, and Jesus, that's what Jesus says this to them. He's like, what, what do you mean? Like you guys would do the exact same thing in this situation, considering if it was your son or if it was someone else. And so he's drawing up this, this, um, this, 
this attitude within within these Pharisees that they that he's identifying, he's bringing to that foreground. These Pharisees are very religious and they're very set in their ways and. And they're very lacking compassion. They're, they're very, I mean, we've seen this and we've studied this in, in, the, in, in our studies of, of the Gospels, that these guys would present themselves as, as the high and mighty of society. And so anyway, so Jesus is, is teaching and, and, and he's healing people. And so they address him. But when we come to this portion here in, in, in chapter 15, um, I want to read to you one verse in particular. Uh, in where, in chapter 15, let's actually read a little together. Read verses, we'll look at Luke 15. We'll read, we'll read verse 1 and 2. And the Word of God says this, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So that verse there, those two verses in 15, pretty much set this, this scenario up as to what, why he goes and tells these, these three parables um, back to back. Highlighting this is the attitude. So up until this point, Jesus has been teaching his, his, the Jewish community. He's been teaching... In the synagogues, in the right context, right? So he's been teaching and, and preaching and, and you're just going through the scriptures in the synagogues. He, he's been eating with the right people. He had dinner at a Pharisee's house and he was teaching there and he healed someone there. They weren't too happy about that. But at least up until this point, Jesus is hanging out with the right people. He's hanging out with the, those synagogue going people he's he's having dinner with with the leaders and the teachers of the law so up until now like look we 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 may disagree on certain theological things that you're teaching right now you're a bit you know uh not not a traditional teacher um but at least you're hanging out with the right crowd like right now you're you're sweet you're good um you, you know Questionable with the healing stuff, but we can get past that. But we come to this verse in, in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 15. Things change for the Pharisees. We're just like, okay, well, hold on, hold on. So now you are hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. You know, you are allowing these people to draw near and listen to, to your teaching. You, you are not only just instructing these guys, not only are you sharing the scriptures with these guys, but you are actually eating with these guys. This was the big thing for these guys. How could you sit down and have a meal with these tax collectors and sinners? That's, that's a high honor. Like back in those days to eat with someone, that was a sign of respect, a sign of love, a sign of welcoming someone in. And, and so this high honor, they immediately see that he is giving it to these unworthy people. These tax collectors, these tax collectors who essentially are pocketing the people's money. These sinners, I'm sure there were prostitutes and thieves and drunkards. All these people he's, he's having lunch with. 
And so it's with this context that we see that, that Jesus needs to address this. Like, well, hold on. You are calling me out because I'm eating with these sinners, these people who are having issues. You, you have a problem with me healing people on a Sabbath. This is what you were calling me out on. And so how does he, he call them back out or how does he address their attitude? In true form, as Jesus always does, he, he tells a story. It tells three stories, actually, three parables. And the first parable that he shares is the parable of the lost sheep in which he, we, I'm sure we're all familiar where he shares this, this story of this good shepherd who loses one sheep out of a hundred. And Jesus says, this good shepherd, what does he do when he loses that one sheep? Well, he leaves the 99 who are safe and tucked away somewhere. And he goes looking for this one sheep that has lost or has gone missing. He's concerned with this sheep. And so he goes out and he, he searches out this one sheep. And, and when he finds it, he comes back. He, he lays him on his, his shoulders and carries him back. And what does he do? He gets his mates and he celebrates because he's found this one sheep. And see, it's, it's a sheep at this, story, at this point in this, uh, in this three-story story. Right? He, he finds one sheep out of a hundred. So that's, that's like a 1% loss. At a 1% loss, the, the natural response would be to celebrate because you found that one out of a hundred sheep. The second thing, or the second story that he shares is, is that of the lost coin. And he, and he goes on and tells this story about this woman who lost one of her, her coins. She had 10 and, and she loses one. And what does she do? Jesus says, she turns the place upside down. She searches it for, for it everywhere in her house. She cleans her house to make sure that she can find it. I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but have you ever lost anything? Like I can relate to this parable. Like I know when I lose something, I go nuts. I go crazy searching for it. I'm like, where is it? I know where it was. I, I put it here. Someone must have taken it. And he started, well, for me, you know, as I start accusing everyone and it turns out, you know, it was me all along. But, you know, you, you, you lose, especially right when you need to go, where are my keys? I'm running late for work. It's happened to me so many times. But you can kind of relate to that, that urgency. I need them right now. Where, where is this coin? So what she do? She, she turns the place upside down and she finds this coin. And what does she do? Jesus goes and shares that the natural response for this woman to, to uh, I guess, to do in this situation is when she finds this lost coin, she goes and, and gathers her neighbors and her friends and she calls them over and they celebrate that they found this one coin. One out of ten. And you begin to see that Jesus is kind of intensifying this parable, this point. It starts off with one out of a hundred, a one percent loss, to one out of ten, a ten percent loss. You know, we go from a sheep to your money now, right? So to a possession that you have many of, to to your income, your your wealth. You've lost 10%. And so obviously the, the audience right now are agreeing. Well, yeah, of course, that's the natural response. You celebrate. You've, you've lost 
something and you found it. And so what do you do? You gather your friends and you're like, you celebrate. And so then we come to this, this, final, uh, this final parable um, in the lost son or the prodigal son. I like the lost son because it, it goes with the flow of all these things that, that these other two stories that he's already shared. And what we see here, though, in this particular parable is that he, he kind of tweaks the parable. He keeps the formula, but he, he kind of adds another dimension to it. He intensifies it a whole lot more. It becomes a little bit more real. It becomes a little bit more gritty. And so he adds this actual final layer uh, to these parables. So far, he's been working with this formula. You lose something. You go and search for it, and when you find it, the natural response is to celebrate. You lose something, you you go and search for it, and when you find it, you celebrate. And we see that that's the same thing that we are, are seeing in the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. But he adds one final layer, and that's right at the end. But let's get to it. We'll read only a couple of verses. Like I said, there's just not enough time for us to go through all of it. Um, but let's read verse 12 of Luke. And we'll pick out just some certain things here uh, within the story. Verse 12 says this. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And we'll leave it there. First of all, we're looking at one of the most disrespectful kids out there. The fact that this kid would go up to his dad who is alive and ask for, for his share of, of the inheritance is, is next level because when you think upon the fact that the only way you receive your inheritance is through death, right? So essentially, his, his dad is still alive. And what he is saying isn't just dad, I, 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 you know, like essentially saying, I want you to be dead. But essentially, that's how he sees his relationship with this father. You are good as dead to me. I want what is coming to me. Give it to me now. The level of disrespect that you see in this child is immense, especially with the fact that he's addressing this story to the Pharisees who were teachers of the law. When we know that they would have known clearly that in Deuteronomy, the the scriptures tell us that if you have a disobedient child, a drunkard, someone who is a rebellious kid, just an ugly child, the parent had every right to, to drag that kid out. Go speak to the elders and say, my child is a rebellious kid. The elders will say, okay, leave him with us. They get the community out. They take him outside the gates. And what do you think they do? They stone the kid to death. Like this is the the severity of it. Like that is how, how the law worked. That that was what was expected. If you disrespect your parent in that way, the parent had every right to say, get him out of here. He's bringing shame to me. 
He's dishonoring me. He's disrespecting me. And so as he's saying this, you know, you, you can just imagine that the Pharisees are already hating this kid. Like they go to the law and they're like, for sure, straight away, this guy needs to be killed because that is the right thing. He does not deserve to live because of the way he's, he's treating his parents. So they listen to this story about this rebellious kid who just has insulted his father to such a degree. See, you see what Jesus is doing? Jesus is, is getting this story, the same formula. Something's lost. They go and search it. When they find it, they celebrate. Same thing in the, in the lost coin. The lost coin was lost. She searched for it. When she found it, she celebrated it. But this time, in this story, he makes it as unappealing as possible. A lost sheep, oh yeah, like it's one out of a hundred. That's pretty cool. They found that one sheep. The lost coin, okay, yeah, well then 10% loss. You definitely want to find that coin. But now this lost son, it's intensified. Now it's not even about... Once it's one in two, meaning your loss is 50% loss and it's not a thing. It's your son. But what does he do? He makes this son as unappealing as possible. He's so disrespectful to his father. He knows that the the law teachers, the teachers of the law know that he deserves to die for this. And he's making him as unappealable as possible. I mean, the fact that he asks for this from his father is is insane but not only that like you could just imagine the trouble that the father had to go through he now has to sell this property whatever property it was that he was going to give him he has to find a buyer as soon as possible and he once he gets his money he has to hand he's going to hand this money over to this son who is essentially saying to him i consider you good as dead you are dead to me you are not my father Imagine the heartbreak the father is experiencing. This is the the son that he's presenting to his audience. Unappealing, disrespectful, undeserving to live. Let's read verse 15. 15, 15 says this. So he went and hide himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields into his fields to feed pigs I leave my bible open i'm going to lose my spot all right so something that is clear from this this whole portion this whole parable in particular towards the end i think it's verse 30 or something like that um, I may be mistaken, but essentially what this kid does is he gets this money, this, I don't know how much money he would have got, but the fact that he gets this payout and the fact that his dad could just like sell a property and give him, it, it signifies to you that first of all, his father was very wealthy. He comes from a rich family. They have servants and, and what have you. But so he gathers quite a bit of money, we'd assume. And according to verse 30, you know, when you get to the story of the older brother, he says that he spends his, his money on prostitutes. So essentially what this kid does is he gets this money that he gets from his father and he just blows it on living it up. 
That's what he does. He just goes out into to the world and he just lives it up. He, 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 we assume that he, he spends it on things just on, to gratify his sinful nature. He spends it on prostitutes, possibly alcohol. And I'm only assuming that because I'm thinking of Deuteronomy. If your child is a drunken, stone the kid to death. Imagine if we still had that law here. Think we would have really good kids uh, out there, but but so so he he spends this money, this ridiculous money, out uh, in this world, and the fact that he leaves the town signifies as well that he leaves the Jewish community as well. So he goes out into the Gentile world. He goes to another country. He leaves that holy land. He leaves the the Jewish community, and in there, after he spends everything that he had, not only does he he lose and blows all that money on disgusting things on this new disgusting lifestyle that the reason why he leaves his father's house um, the word of God tells us that a famine hits this country and when we think upon a famine in, in any you know situation in scripture we we ought to automatically assume that this is a you know God is just placing judgment over them but anyways it he his situation just gets worse and worse. So famine hits. And so now he has no money. He now has to go look for a job. And so he goes and hires himself out to a Gentile. This is a Jewish kid who is now working for the enemy. I mean, Jesus is addressing this to a Pharisee right now. Like you need to kind of get your headspace in that. Like this is the kid who has disrespected his father, who's taken the money, who spent it in prostitutes, who's lived it up, he spent it all, now he's broken, he's working for a Gentile. These Pharisees are like hating this. Like I could just picture their hand is itching to pick up a stone at this imaginary kid, right? And so they're getting frustrated and can this story get any worse? Well, yes. He makes it worse. Jesus intensifies it even more. It definitely can get worse. Not only does he work for a Gentile, but the job that he picks up isn't like an honorable, he's going to be a doctor of a Gentile. He feeds pigs. That is his job. And now if you know anything about Jewish, um, the Jewish faith or the Jewish community or the Jewish people, they cannot associate themselves with pigs. They can't. And now this kid is feeding pigs. They're not even allowed to touch the animal. And his job is to make sure that these pigs are taken care of. Like, are you okay, babe? Like, the the level that he has dropped to. And you think, okay, so he's left his dad's side. He spent all the money. There's a famine. He's hungry. He's got a job. He's working for a Gentile. He's... Feeding pigs, that's his job. Can it get worse? Yes, it can get worse. He's now hungry. He wants to eat from where the pigs are eating. This is how far gone this kid is. Where he looks at the food slash bed slash toilet of the pigs, because that's what they do. They sleep and poop and eat all in the same place he's looking at this and and he's considering eating like a pig so he's gone from a son of a wealthy father to practically pig can it get worse yes even the gentiles didn't want to help him out 
And that's what you see here in verse, verse 16. No one gave him anything. Like even the Gentiles that these Pharisees would have been like, they're lower than us. Even they are looking at this kid and like, he's lower than us. His situation is so far gone. It is hit rock bottom. If there's ever a picture of someone hitting rock bottom, this is the one. This is the poster boy for hitting rock bottom. Let's read verse 20. And he rose, speaking of this son, the young son, and he rose and came to his, uh, and he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. So eventually this kid comes to his senses. His, he thinks he reflects upon his life that he had with his father. He's like, all right, I'm here. I'm looking at this pig's food and it looks like five-star quality meal right now to me. And I'm at this point considering eating this. And he thinks upon the situation of, of his servants, the father's servants, and how they were treated in his house and how they ate. They ate lavishly. And so he thinks to himself, well, my gosh, like, why don't I just go back home? So he comes to his senses and he realizes, you know what? It's just, I'm just going to pack up and, and go home. But there's just one problem. He knows that his father has every right to call upon the elders and have this kid stoned. Especially considering that this kid has spent it on prostitutes and, and has worked as a, as a pig feeder. He's worked for a Gentile. This guy is now so undesirable that it's just, it would be a mercy kill. Let's just put this kid out of his misery. So he knows that he deserves to die. But what does this kid do? He clings on. To something that he knows his father is. And that is that he's merciful. He throws himself to the mercy of his father. He knows he deserves death. But he's going to throw himself at the mercy of his father. And so he picks his things up and, and he travels back home. And as he's traveling back home, he has this speech ready to share to his father or share with his father saying, don't consider me a son, just consider me a servant. Forgive me, I've, I've sinned against you in heaven. And, and he's, he's reciting this, this, this speech that he has in his heart. And when he's walking towards in, or in, inwards to town or whatever it was, the word of God tells us that this father saw his son from a distance. He saw him coming. And a dignified man, as, as this father would have been, someone who is wealthy, he gets up and he can't control himself. He can't hold himself back. He sees his son and he rejoices. He knows that he's come back home because why else would he? And so what does he do? He, he picks himself up and he runs towards this son whom has treated him so poorly. And the scriptures say that he picks up his, his robe and he starts running towards his son. Something that would have brought shame to any man. 
But he does it. He doesn't care. He runs towards his son who needs him. And the word of God says that, you know, when he runs up to him, he embraces him. He hugs him. He falls on his neck. He starts kissing him. And as he's, this is going on, the son is just like getting embraced by his dad and he's a bit confused as to what's going on because you can just imagine he's thinking he's going to kill me. I mean, I'm, we're not talking about like I'm dead when I go home. Like I'm talking about literally being put to death like that. He's going to kill me. And so he's expecting this reaction from his father, but instead he's getting all these hugs and, and, and kisses. And, and the normal thing for him to do is just like he starts going, re reciting this, this speech that he had. Father, forgive, uh, forgive me. Like just, just, and he's going through his speech and the father just cuts him off. Not even, it is not even listening to him. And he just calls for his servants. He says, bring me the robe, the best robe. Bring me the ring. Bring me all these things. Bring me his shoes. Let's kill the fattened calf and let's celebrate because this son who was once dead is now alive, who was once lost, he is now found. And so we see here that full circle, don't we? The parable of the, 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 the formula that has been working within these parables. Something was lost. They go out and search it. When they find it, what do they do? Celebrate. They celebrate. And so we see here, once again, this is where you, all right, point made. Let's roll credits and wrap things up. No, he adds one more element, Christ, to this parable. Let's read verse 29. And this is speaking of the older brother. He says, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Leave it there. So this is the response of the older brother. The other one that was never lost. He was always at home. This is the response of the older brother. What is he complaining about what is this older brother fired up about why is he angry what's got him so upset well, essentially it's this wait you're telling me that this drunkard prostitute sleeping with guy this guy who spent your property on the most ridiculous lifestyle, like he literally did the whole YOLO thing and, and, and just went nuts with your money. This guy, this son of yours, you're treating him like royalty by feeding him, giving him this special treatment. Something that should have been reserved for me. If anyone deserves this, it's me. And isn't this really mirroring what the Pharisees were doing with the tax collectors and the sinners? You're eating with these guys? Why are you treating them like royalty? You are standing before the Pharisees here and you're eating with the tax collector. Don't you know who they are? This is essentially the attitude that Jesus is drawing out. 
and pointing out that this is how you guys are. You guys are concerned with these things, these external things. When, when God is concerned about saving these people's lives, that is the number one thing that something was lost and it is now found. The natural response should always be to celebrate. When something is lost and you find it, Jesus says the natural response in heaven is that they celebrate, they rejoice when a sinner comes to the feet of the Lord. That is that natural response that we should all have. And so Christ gives that that indictment towards them that they won't celebrate the work of God in these, these sinners' lives. A response is always to rejoice and to celebrate. But what has this got to do with, with family? What has this got to do with, with or what's the point, the application for us? And with this, I'll finish. It's essentially this. That, the, the, that in all of these parables, we see a pattern that I've been trying to stress out to you guys. Something is lost. What is the first thing that these guys did? They went out and searched for it. They did their, their very best efforts to search this out. And when they found it, they rejoiced. That is the the model. That is the point that he's trying to get to. There was a lost sheep. The good shepherd leaves the 99 and goes and search for that one sheep. There was a lost coin. And this woman turns her place upside down in search of this one coin. And when she finds it, she rejoices. And then you have this father who loses a son But when he finds him again, he rejoices. The application is that we have to be like that good shepherd, like that woman and like this father. That when we see those who are lost, that we would make every effort to search them out. And when they are found, we rejoice with the Lord. I mean, when I think upon our families, and since this is focused on family, our task is essentially that. That you see, even for me, you know my life, you know my family, you know that not all of them serve the Lord. So what is this saying to me? What is my task? Go out, search him out, find him. And I know that if you know me and my family, I know you and yours as well. That there are people in our lives that we love who don't have the Lord. Our task is to leave the 99 and search that one. 
tear the, the house apart and search for that one coin. Unlike the task that should have been left to the older brother but failed, I, I, I'm afraid that sometimes we act like that older brother in this parable. You are not the prodigal son. You are the older brother. The older brother's task should have been this. Not complain that his brother was getting this special treatment. It should have been rejoicing. But even before that, it should have been, I see my father's heartache. I see my father's heartbreak. Because he has lost his son. What should have been his task? I'm sure you know the answer to that. He should have left the field. He should have left his father's house in search of that brother. So that when he brought him back to his father, he too would have rejoiced. And that's the application for us. We have family members and not just family members. Maybe your whole family is already saved and in a church. But for those who, who still have those who are out in the world, that is what we have to do. Go out and make every effort to make sure that we are speaking to them and sharing the gospel with them. So that when they come back, if God grants that, if God does that work in them, the natural response would be to celebrate. Let's pray.